the still small voice. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 1 Kings 19.22 Welcome to today's reading of Angels in the ER. A couple of my friends are from ERs, like all of us have friends that are in the medical field, always telling us inspiring stories. I have one that's a good friend. He just told me that COVID is up for, they got 40 patients in the Cyanide Beverly Hills Hospital. So keep your distance, keep the ginger, the garlic, all those items available, natural, onions, cook more with them, just enough to keep bacteria at bay and be ready with a strong immune system. Amen. Reading from Robert D. Leslie's Medical Doctor, Inspiring True Stories from an Emergency Room Doctor. The Still Small Voice, Chapter 10. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not on the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. She began to pace. It was about nine in the morning, and up until this point, she had been lying quietly. Back and forth, across the room she walked, her bloated belly attesting to the fact that she was full term, maybe a few days late. I watched her closely, keeping a reasonable, uninstructive distance. From time to time, she looked at me, her dark eyes at once fearful and trusting. But something was wrong. I was an ER doctor and had delivered dozens of babies. And though I wasn't an obstetrician, I knew something wasn't right. She made another pass in front of me, and when she turned, I could see a small foot beginning to protrude. Then she walked over and lay down on her side, panning now. Above and behind her, the faces of my four young children were pressed against the panes of the French door that led into the screen porch. It was here that Scooter, our miniature Dachshund, had chosen to give birth to her first litter. The kids' faces were excited and they looked on with anticipation. Barbara stood above them, bent over, hands on her knees. She was excited also, but this was tempered with a measure of anxiety. She was concerned about Scooter, but she needed to protect her own litter as well. This was the toughest but most important audience I have ever had. Early that morning, I had called on our vet, expressing my concern about Scooter's slow progress. Don't worry, she had tried to reassure me. Dash hounds are notorious for having difficult deliveries. It's their long, low backs, probably, and don't be surprised if you have a stillborn pup or two. In fact, maybe half won't make it. What? I asked, incredulous. What am I supposed to do about that? Nothing, she had answered. Don't do anything. Just let nature take its course. I was silent, considering what she had just told me. It was contrary to everything in me to just stand by and watch. 
Call me if there's a problem, he, he, she added. But everything should be fine. She had hung up and I returned to the porch and Scooter's pacing in the faces of my children. Scooter lay with her back to the French doors only inches away from the glass. We had tried to make her as comfortable as possible on a couple of folded towels. I stroked her head and neck and tried to encourage her, regretting that I didn't speak Dash Hound. The tiny foot was now more visible, and then there were two, but something wasn't right. They weren't moving. Maybe that was normal, but... And then there was the pup. He was tiny, wet, and covered with a glistening membrane that Scooter immediately began to gnaw and bite. I watched with amazement as she nudged and cajoled her firstborn, stimulating the pup and trying to tear away this covering. How did she know how to do this? I knew it was instinct, but still, it was amazing. I glanced up at the kids, and their eyes were big as saucers. They were pointing and giggling and bouncing up and down. Then I looked at Scooter. She had laid down back, seemingly exhausted, still panting, Another foot began to emerge from her bird canal. And then I looked at the first pup. He was lying on the top, completely still, not moving, not breathing. I rubbed him, trying to stimulate the little guy, trying to get him to breathe, but nothing happened. He was dead. Glancing up at Barbara, I saw the look of concern on her face. And then I looked at the children. They were just staring, no longer giggling and bouncing up and down. They knew something was wrong. I picked up the pup and moved him out of their sight. Meanwhile, Scooter had delivered her second puppy. She was again nipping at the amnonic membranes and trying to stimulate the little girl. Nothing, same as before. To heck with this. Okay, Scooter, I calmly spoke to her. Let me see what I can do here. I wasn't sure how she was going to respond, but she just looked up at me with those large dark eyes and cocked her head. When I reached out and grabbed the pup, she didn't whimper or make any protective movement. She just laid there watching me. The puppy was a tiny, lifeless form in my hand. Barely covering my palm, I briefly looked up at the faces pressed to the glass in front of me. Their expressions were wide-eyed and confused. As I watched, my older daughter's lips began to quiver. That was enough. Using my thumbs, I peeled that slick and still wet membrane away from the puppy's head. Then, and I still can't believe I did this. I put my mouth over the pup's nose and mouthed and sucked whatever mucus I could get out of her airway. I rubbed her between my hands to try to get some response, but still nothing. Then I put my mouth over hers again and inflated her tiny lungs. Four, maybe five breaths. I began doing chest compressions. I had no idea how fast they needed to be. I just did what I felt right. After about 30 seconds, I stopped and watched. Still nothing, and then her tiny head moved just a little, and her mouth opened, and she took a breath. I rubbed her a little more, and she rolled her head again, this time after another breath. I heard a faint yeep. Scooter heard it too, and looked at me, and then at her puppy. Then she laid back down on the towel. There was more work to be done. The puppy was now actively squirming in my hand. She was going to be fine. I laid her on the towel beside Scooter and watched as she gamely tried to stand. 
The sound of clapping and cheering came from the other side of the porch doors, and I looked up. The kids were jumping up and down and yelling. And then I saw that my wife was crying. Without words, she thanked me and told me she was proud of what I had just done. Scooter would deliver five more puppies. Only two responded to her maternal ministrations. The other three required the same recitative efforts and did fine. We lost just one puppy that morning, the first one, and the last little girl pup, Ivy, was the run of the litter. She would be a member of our family for almost 13 years. That was a bright and shiny moment for me, and I will never forget, but the experience would prove to be something else, something much more consequential. 2 a.m. two weeks later. Sheila Rice had just returned from radiology. She had taken two auto accident patients around for some x-ray. Nothing serious, just a few bumps and bruises. At that moment, they were our only patients. She walked over to the nurse's stations and sat down beside me. Doc, I'm going to need some coffee here in a minute. How about you? No, I'm fine right now, Sheila, I answered, not looking up from my day-old newspaper I was paging through. Maybe later, Sheila was one of our regular night nurses. For some reason, working the graveyard shift suited her home life, but most important, she was able to sleep during the day. She had been doing this for a long time, 10 or 12 years now. I was always glad to have her working with me. She had a lot of experience in the R and was cool and calm in an emergency. Maybe most significant, she was a great password partner. When she had some downtime, usually three or four in the morning, a couple of the lab techs would come over and challenge us to a game. The outcome was always the same and they limped back to their department. Well, I'm going to the lounge so would you change your she wasn't able to finish her sentence the door to triage had burst open and one of our business office secretaries came barreling toward us pushing a young asian woman in a wheelchair madeline put her back over there to room one she directed pointing in that direction madeline put her back into it and gain even more speed with the wheelchair. She wanted no part of this and was determined to make her own delivery as quickly as possible. It was then I noticed a young Asian man following them. He spoke quickly yet quietly to the young woman in a language I couldn't understand. She didn't say anything. She nodded her head. Madeline and Sheila transferred our patient from the wheelchair to the stretcher and then Madeline escorted the man out of the department. Come on with me, she said to him. We'll need to fill out some paperwork. I had remained seated during all of this. Sheila would call me when I was needed, if I was needed. Usually when an expectant woman came into the ER like this, a quick assessment by the nurse would determine they either were not in labor or were in its very early stages. In either circumstances, we would immediately send the patient to the OB floor to be evaluated. Only very rare, maybe once or twice a year, would we deliver a baby in the ER or in the parking lot. 
and that was fine with me. It was fun to do this every once in a while, but we really weren't set up to handle deliveries, and it was always a stressful situation. Dr. Leslie, doctor, get over here now. It was Sheila, and I was immediately on my feet. I reached for the curtain, but Sheila pulled it open for me, grabbing me by the arm and pulling me into the room. Here, do your thing, she said. The baby's crowning. I'll go and get the delivery kit. Are you sure, I asked her, still hoping we could just send this lady upstairs. Well, you tell me, she answered, stepped to the side of the stretcher and gently spread the woman's knees. The top of the baby's head covered with thick black hair was just visible. What I could see was about the size of a 50 50 cent piece. Whoa, now it was more like a tennis ball. Get that kit, Sheila, and hurry up. I grabbed some gloves from a box on the countertop and snapped them on. Looking at this patient, I suddenly realized she hadn't made a sound, not a moaning or anything, and I realized I didn't know her name. Ma'am, ma'am, everything's going to be fine here, okay? Ma'am, where did that come from? She just looked at me, no evidence of pain in her face, no sound coming from her lips. She obviously didn't understand what I was saying, so I just looked at her and nodded. She smiled and nodded back at me. Sheila came up behind me, tearing the blue paper from the delivery kit. With one foot, she pulled an instrument stand from the corner of the room to the end of the stretcher. Then throwing the paper on the floor, she opened the kit and dropped it on the stand. The contents of the kit were limited and straightforward. There was an umbilical cord clamp, scissors, a pile of gauze, a couple of small blue towels, ring forceps and a suction bowl for the baby's nose and mouth. If we needed anything else, we could quickly find it in the supply closet. Then the young woman made the first noise we had heard from it. her. It was only a faint grunt, but Sheila and I both reacted to it. I stepped to the side of the stretcher and Sheila moved closer to the head. Then she once again gently spread the woman's knees, softly speaking words of encouragement. There, there, honey, it's going to be okay, she assured her. Now don't start pushing just yet. Too late, I could see one year now. It was time to deliver this baby. I reached down, located one shoulder, and delivered it with ease. The second shoulder quickly followed, and then in one slithery, slippery instance, the baby, a little girl, was lying on the stretcher between her mother's legs. I felt an enormous relief while reaching for the suction bulb to clear the baby's airway. I quickly glanced at her new mother's face. Her forehead was listening with sweat and a smile spread on her face. Her eyes met mine and she nodded, still silent, still calm. What in the world is that? Sheila Shark's concern immediately drew my attention back to the baby. What are you talking? I stopped mid-sentence and stared at the newborn. In the midst of the precipitous delivery, I hadn't noticed it. What is this thing? Sheila asked again, now pointing at something that completely enveloped the baby. My pulse quickened and my chest tightened. The relief I had experienced just seconds ago was now gone. And then an image flashed before my eyes. I suddenly remembered Scooter. The newborn girl was covered with a transparent glistening sack. It was still wet and slippery, and it would prevent her from breathing. 
Intact membranes is the medical term. I had read and heard about such a thing, but with our modern delivery techniques, this was a rare occurrence, rarer still for an ER doctor. Dropping the green bulb on the stretcher, I told Sheila, get me a number 15 blade. The calmness in my voice surprised me, but I was calm. I knew what I needed needed to be done, and I knew how to do it. Almost without looking, Sheila reached behind her to a shelf in the wall and quickly located the needed scalpel. She peeled back the sturdy wrapper and held out the exposed handle. Taking the blade, I quickly made a careful incision through the membrane and peeled the glisten capsule away from the little girl's head. Grabbing the bulb syringe, I then suctioned her nose, mouth, then thankfully the three of us heard her first loud, strong cry. She was as tough and resilient as her mother. Sheila picked up the baby and used one of the towels to remove the remaining of the membrane and dry her off. The cord was then clamped and cut and Sheila placed the girl in her mother's arms. I slumped on the stool at the side of the stretcher enjoying this moment as the remains of the adrenaline surge washed through my body. Have you ever seen something like that? Sheila asked me as she gazed down at our new mother and child. Nope. Sure haven't, I answered, and then I thought about Scooter again in the back of the porch. Well, Ezra, but how did you know what to do, she persisted. I never seen anything like it. I was thinking of where she to begin when the voice of the unit secretary interrupted us. Sheila, we got one out here, she called from the nurse's station. Hmm, she cited. Well, let me go see what it is. I call OB and they have come down and take this lady upstairs. I guess we should be called the pediatricians too. She walked out of the room, pulling the curtain closed behind her. Later, when it was quiet again, I would tell her and Sheila would understand this was not some fortuitous coincidence. I believe Einstein was wrong when he said the coincidence in God's ways of remaining anonymous. Our Creator doesn't choose to remain unknown or in the background of our lives. He wants us to know Him and to walk with Him and to talk with Him. And if we will listen, He wants to talk with us. For this night, for that situation, I was extremely grateful.